This is the Two Man Weave Podcast with Doug Haller and Jody Ayler. Stay up to date with all Arizona and Arizona State basketball news by downloading the AZ Central Sports app in the Apple Store or Google Play and follow our entire team at azcentral.com. Welcome to another edition of the Two Man Weave Podcast. Alongside Doug Haller covering College Hoops, U of A, and ASU for AZ Central Sports, azcentral.com, and on Twitter at Doug Haller. I'm Jody Ayler, host of The Drive on Fox Sports 910 Phoenix, weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. and on Twitter at Radio J-O-D-Y. Doug, from once we last, last left each other, uh, the landscape has once again dramatically changed in a week's period of time. <laughs> And here we are sifting through another very newsy 24-hour cycle. But let's start with the freshest as it relates to where we sit today. Uh, Late last night and even all yesterday, there were reports from Pittsburgh that Sean Miller was interested in the Pittsburgh job. Jeff Goodman of ESPN um, had told a Pittsburgh media publication that he believed Sean was interested in in the Pittsburgh gig. Uh, who fired Kevin Stallings after he went winless in the ACC. Um, there was a, a, another report from a Pittsburgh journalist saying that Sean had actually discussed the opening with the athletic director at Pittsburgh. And then as of a few hours ago, this is Wednesday afternoon, we're recording this, Sean Miller released a statement saying that he is not a candidate for the opening. And that's where we are. Yeah, the big thing is that Sean Miller may have had interest in the Pittsburgh job, which really is not a good job right now. <laughs> and I mean, it was it was open just a couple years ago. And I imagine uh, Sean Miller's phone probably rang at that point, which he, <laughs> he obviously didn't have interest in or he would have been there. But I think that's very telling if the reports are true that he had interest in the job, just given the situation <clears throat> at Arizona. Um, and we've discussed for weeks now, Jody, that, you know, what what is his future in right. Tucson, given everything that's going on? So I wasn't really surprised by this or to to learn of this. Were you? I wasn't either. I think it makes sense for him. I mean, when you're in when you're embroiled or embattled in some difficult times, it's kind of human nature to seek out the comforts of home. Yeah. And Sean Miller's a Western Pennsylvania guy. He's a Pittsburgh alum. Um, and this is not in any way, shape, or form a slight on the Arizona program because Arizona fans, by and large, have wrapped their arms around Sean Miller. They've given him standing ovations. Now, maybe that's changed in the aftermath of the first round exit. Maybe he felt that a little bit more. And it's not surprising to me that he sought the comfort of home, even though, to your point, Pittsburgh is a disaster of a job right now. Uh, And it's never really been a great job. I mean, it's always been a sort of a lower second tier, top of the third tier kind of jobs in the country. So uh, I, I think the bigger story here for Sean Miller is, you know, what does this mean for his relationship with U of A, right? Well, we, yeah, and we don't know about, I mean, we don't know, I mean, U of A has supported him as publicly. Uh, Twice. Th- right, throughout all of this, stood beside him uh, through some very serious allegations, uh, which I th- I know for a fact that Sean Miller appreciated. However, they could have had some sort of agreement in place saying, hey, uh, we're going to support you through the end of the season. You've done some great things here, but you know, at the end of the season, maybe it's time we both go our separate yeah. ways. I mean, you don't know that. Or you know, maybe said, you know, <laughs> they may have pointed out if you're in demand and there are other opportunities uh, that come your way, if you want to pursue them, we'll certainly understand. Right. Right. I mean, we we don't know the answers to that. It, 
I mean, I don't know. You just, there's so much that we don't know with this and, and everyone's still speculating. I mean, the, the report that came out today that Sean Miller's had discussion with, with Pitt, we still don't know what, you know, what does, what does discussion mean? Pitt may have just called and said, hey, Sean, you know, we, we heard that you're interested. Unfortunately, you know, we just can't hire you right now because of everything that's going on. Uh, in your program. I mean, it could have been just as simple as that. We don't know how in depth. We don't know if he flew out there. We don't know if they met at an undisclosed location. We don't know any of that stuff. Sean Miller cannot talk to another human being without it being reported <laughs> and apparently mischaracterized. Like every conversation, Sean Miller, it's just innocent. I'm just, I'm just checking in to find out everyone's doing in Pittsburgh. Suddenly it's getting out that I'm interested in the job. Like everything he does gets recorded. Is there a, is there a recording of this Pittsburgh conversation? Has, can anyone write an article about it i mean can you imagine mark schleybaugh would have reported this <laughs> oh my goodness that would have been awesome <laughs> so i mean yeah so we, i mean i i don't know i've i've always wondered how this how this continues next year especially where the program is especially everything that's happened um <clears throat> and everything that we don't know and i don't even know if we're going to have any answers by the start of next season i don't so, no we we probably don't and i think two things very specifically, which given the nature and the track record of this podcast, both of these things will be proven to be demonstrably false within 48 <laughs> hours of this podcast. But I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep plowing ahead. I'm going to keep shooting my shot here. Um, first of all, I don't think Sean Miller's hireable by a Power 5 school right now. I agree with that. I think the amount of liability an AD and school president would assume by hiring Sean Miller makes it untenable given that they're not already in with Sean Miller. You know, Dave Hickey and, and, and Bobby Robbins, I can't, is it Rob Robbins? Is it Robert <laughs> Robbins? Does he go by Bob, Bobby? I don't know. But Dr. Robbins, I don't even know if he's a doctor. Um, but they, they've they already cast their lot. They're already in. And it's they had two chances to get out. They doubled and tripled down on Sean Miller. They're in the Sean Miller business. But for another Power 5 school to assume that risk, in the, in this nature, schools are increasingly aware of bad PR. They're increasingly skeptical of inviting any sort of scrutiny or negativity to their to their university. I don't think he could be hired right now by a Power Five school, and that's not because there's an assumption of his guilt. It's because the spectrum of possibilities for Sean Miller remains wildly guilty. Wildly innocent, somewhere in between, we have no idea. Right. I, I think the only I agree with you on that. And the only the only school I think that made a little bit of sense was Pitt, <clears throat> just given where they are. Because of his connection. We right. know him. He's it, our guy. Right. And you know, maybe they they make a, a risky hire and it pays off in the long run. But you know, maybe it comes out that he's cleared and all of a sudden it it, it looks very good for Pitt. But you know, I, I think Sean Miller has only three options at this point. One, he returns to U of A next year. Two, he just takes a, or parts ways, takes a year off until his name is cleared, and then gets back into coaching if if he has that opportunity. Or three, the NBA. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if he has interest in the NBA. I know a lot of people don't think he would be he would make a good NBA coach. Right. I don't know. What, do you think he would he would do well in the in the NBA? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I think he's more of a recruiter than he is a coach. I think that's what separates sort of the Brad Stevens and Billy Donovans from the John Calipari's and the other coaches. That you know, if we want to lump, uh, I mean, who else is but Tim Floyd, Leonard Hamilton? If we go down the list, <laughs> Tim Floyd. I mean, wow, what a career that guy Sean, has had, <laughs> Sean. You can't hire an NBA an NBA team, even Robert Sarver, who's a U of A alum and in Phoenix with a Suns franchise, that 
makes sense for them to hire a college coach given the youth of their roster. They just lost to Buffalo. I mean, I think that's difficult in a press conference, and maybe it doesn't matter, but think think about for an NBA team. We're hiring Sean Miller. That press conference is going to be really difficult. You don't want... The last thing teams want is at the introductory press conference for there to be a, for lack of a better phrase, a pissing match between the media and the head coach on what he's willing to say about the NCAA. Are you running from the problems? Are there any other issues? Do you think this will follow you to the NBA? Is there more to this story? No one wants that in an introductory press conference. What happens if the Suns get the number one pick and draft DeAndre Ayton? He lost in the first round with it. You know what I mean? Like, I, that's the first thing you think of is that right. if Aiton and Miller combine to get to the final four, I think the Sean Miller as the Phoenix Suns head coach would be worth talking about. I don't think it. You're I, right. I still don't think he's a great in game coach. I think that's clear, but I do think it would have been at least a conversation. Yeah, I mean, I've always heard certain people say about certain coaches, yeah, he's a good college coach or he's a good recruiter, but it doesn't transfer to the NBA. I've never really understood. I mean, I understand that, but I've never, I don't, I don't know if I buy into it as much because it's, to me, in some ways, it's like uh, if there's a middle school teacher, like, well, he could never teach high school because right, I mean, in some right. ways, basketball is basketball. Sure. Uh, and you know, and I heard about it with Todd Graham, and and when he lost his Arizona State job, and I, I knew the NFL was going to be a possibility of him coaching. People were like, well, I couldn't see him in college or in pro. I'm like, well, I mean, coaches can adjust a little yeah. bit. But I do understand what you're saying. He's never been known as a great X's and O's coach. At the same time, in the NBA, a lot of it's just player driven anyway. So maybe. But I also think that the stain of the speculation around Sean Miller kind of erodes his authority, even in the NBA. You know, I mean, if you come into an NBA locker room and you start having the Sean Miller intensity, barking at guys, and that's not going to change. Like, that's his coaching style. He's going to be intense. Uh, NBA dudes would be like, who's this guy from college who just got an F- a dude arrested in the FBI? Like, what's he? I, I don't think he he cuts that authoritative figure that you need in the NBA to command respect right now. I just, for fair or not, I think this whole situation undermines his authoritative presence. Who is the the NBA's most intense coach? Intense, like on the sideline, not yeah. with not with the officials, not with within the play, with with within the locker room. Probably Popovich. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've gotten to know Popovich over the years. He loves wine. He likes long dinners <laughs> with you know Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. But in terms of intensity, if you talk about on the sidelines, no BS, interviews, press conferences. He's pro- now actually I take that back. You know who's probably the most intense is Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle is a very tightly wound coach. Obviously won the finals with the Mavericks. They're a bad team, but he's a very intense dude. Yeah, you can tell just sitting in press conferences with him that he's got that kind of intensity he about does. him. He does. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good answer. But most of the guys in the NBA that are successful are more laid back, and yeah. it's typically historically been that way. You know, in the last twenty, Phil Jackson famously, obviously. Steve Kerr now, Brad Stevens. Um, one guy that I'm shocked is having the success in the NBA is, is Quinn Snyder, who yeah. was a solid coach at Missouri and then went away. And maybe he's the model for Sean Miller. He kind of disappeared and went and, what did he coach, internationally for a few years? Was he in the G League for a while? Something. Yeah. He's got a, he's got a little intensity to him as well. Yeah. Still uh, has great hair. <laughs> Dude's always had a great lettuce on his on his head, and he's got it. still got it. <laughs> That's interesting. Speaking of, we haven't mentioned uh, the fact that we both had Arizona in the final no, four. No, well, we've, 
We've avoided that conversation. <laughs> but real quick, before we get to that, let me. You mentioned the three options, right? Yeah. I don't think Sean Miller can walk away from millions of dollars. He's guaranteed to make millions of dollars. I don't think he's going to voluntarily say, I'm not, I may never make this money again. So let me walk away from it now and hope that everything clears up in a year. I don't think that's likely. I think the most likely scenario is Arizona can't fire Sean Miller because are they really going to be able to land a better coach than Sean Miller? There may be cleaner coaches, but better coaches with better track records, I find that hard to believe. Well, if they fire him, that would be interesting because they had a chance to fire him uh, for cause. Correct. Which (laughs) would have saved them some money. Uh, and didn't do it. So now, I mean, if you if you say you're doing it because of performance, that and they're paying Rich Rod six million dollars. Yeah, they can't afford to pay ten million dollars plus in fired coaches' salaries. They've already doubled down on their support of them. And frankly, I don't think Sean Miller can get a better job than Arizona. They're yeah. kind of right now stuck with each other. And and to be honest, that's kind of fitting. I mean, I think it's the way it should be. Instead of Sean Miller cutting and running, and had he taken the pit job, uh. I think that's a very that would have been a very harsh reaction from people. I I already know I would have I already know how I would have felt about Sean Miller cutting and running from a mess that he at least is indirectly responsible for and I think it would have gone over very very poorly. So, I don't think that Sean Miller at this point really has any opportunities and for Arizona to kind of cut bait with Sean Miller would be Kind of, at this point, a ridiculous thing to do to fire a coach after losing a basketball game as after sticking with him through the arrest of an FBI, an FBI arrest of an assistant coach and uh, another highly publicized scandal that the accuracy is still being debated. So I kind of think it's fitting they get through this together and in a year or two, maybe that's when both parties decide we're now in a better position to move on. But I think Sean Miller deserves trying to rebuild this program and and figuring it out. I really do. And I think if he does that, uh, there's some penance, you know, involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what do you think? I mean, obviously the fan base was behind him at the end during all the scandal yeah. stuff. It, has the fan base turned on them since the NCAA tournament? I think some have. Listen, yeah. no, nothing upsets a college basketball fan base more than. Losing in the first round. <laughs> Especially the way they lost. Lou, Dolson, Lou Dolson's resume was littered with it for years, and it it was a big deal nationally. People still loved him locally. I'll defend Sean Miller this way in terms of the tournament performance. And we both had him go in the Final Four because we were both under the Pac-12 spell, Pac-12 tournament spell, right? <laughs> yeah, I got some stuff to say about that. Okay. Thing, but go ahead. Um, I, think, I think for Arizona – this was their first real bad upset in Sean Miller's career. Yeah. They lost to Wichita State. They were an 11-6 seed. That's not a huge upset. And, and I know last year Xavier was a double-digit seed and they lost in the Sweet 16. I understand that was a bad loss. Getting to a Sweet 16, it's not embarrassing. So this was really the first really bad, disappointing just crushing tournament loss for Sean Miller at Arizona. I think he deserves a mulligan. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> what I was going to say, I after the Pac-12 tournament, and we have talked all year about how they didn't look like a Final Four team. <laughs> and I I kick myself now, but I changed my mind in Las Vegas. Yeah. 
Uh, and they, they many looked, people do, Doug. <laughs> many people change their minds on many things in Las they, Vegas. They, they looked different. They, I thought they had a different sense of urgency. And I asked around. I asked people uh, who were there. I asked some people who wa- who watched it from home. Uh, did were we just kind of under the spell of, like you said, the Pac-12 being? We thought the Pac-12 was a little bit better than than what it was. And and they all thought that you know that Arizona looked like a Final Four contender uh, in Vegas. You know, they were getting the ball inside. They were defending better. But you're right. I mean, they were just in a matchup where all their weaknesses, you know, got, kind of got exposed there from, from the three-point shooting to the point guard play. Um, <laughs> it was all on the table there. I think what happened in hindsight is a classic case of confirmation bias. We were looking for Arizona to become yeah, the maybe. Final Four team. Right. We saw a very small sample size of it and rushed to confirm what everyone in the world of college basketball believed from day one is that Arizona's a Final Four team. Yeah. So the second we saw it, we're like, oh, that's it. There it is. <laughs> and to your credit, I, I've i honestly thought that they would flip the switch and that this supremely talented team, once the, the urgency of March rolled around, would sort of show up. And so when they, when they showed up in Vegas, I'm like, well, there it is. I mean, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. And you all season have been like, I don't think that happens in college. It, it just doesn't happen in college. And so I guess there's a long-winded way of me saying that if anyone should regret more than the other, I think you should regret more because you were more right about Arizona than I was this year. And and you had them in the Final Four, but it's hard not to given their talent level. Yeah. Right? I mean, right. No, I mean if, they, if they had a different matchup, say they, they're playing, um, I don't know. A couple of those 13s won, though, you know. Yeah. Okay. Who, yeah. Who are who are some of the other? Well, we can't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. But say they were playing St. Bonaventure, a different matchup. Do they go far then? Do they just meet the wrong team at the wrong time? That happens in this in the NCAA tournament every year. I don't know. Based on what we know about the Pac-12, I think probably not. I think maybe the Sweet 16 is their ceiling. But Marshall beat Wichita State. Uh, they would have beaten Marshall. Marshall's not that good. Charleston took Auburn to four points, and UNC Greensboro scared Gonzaga by four. So all those were competitive games. Yeah. I, I kind of think it's an interesting question. I kind of think Arizona, this is what their DNA was. It's a bad matchup, but when you lose to an inferior talented team like that by tw- by 21, <laughs> it was over. Quickly. This wasn't a buzzer beater. Yeah. I don't think Arizona was built for postseason success, or uh, built's maybe another word. I don't think Arizona was capable of the kind of postseason success we expected of them. I don't, in hindsight. All right. So we're, we're clear. Uh, um, DeAndre Aiden. Yep. Top pick in the NBA draft. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still with, with that. Uh, Raleigh Hawkins, first-round draft pick? Late first. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. I agree with you on that. Alonzo Trier. No. I don't think Alonzo Trier... Let's put it this way. I'd be more surprised. I'd be more surprised if he were drafted in the first round than I was if he went undrafted. That would be more surprising yeah. to me. Yeah, I was big on Alonzo Trier uh, for most of the season, but man, after he came back from his failed drug test, he was awful. Yeah, he was. He was terrible. What? What's his NBA skill? There, there's always, I mean, a place for shooters. There are, um, but he's not like a pure shooter. You know, I know his percentages were very good, and and but he's not. Let's put it this way. Trier's not a guy you're going to be able to comfortably ask to go out there in the NBA and be like, just take a few threes a game. He gets the ball in his hands. He's shooting it. He's a gunner. That's what his nature is. So I think he's, I don't think he's an NBA player. I don't. 
Troy Daniels. I mean, true. He, he could be. I mean, but Troy Daniels was, was undrafted, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had to fight his way through it. I don't know. I mean, yeah. He. It's interesting that right at the time of his when he came back, he was never the same player. Um, what? Yeah. And what <laughs> no one wants to acknowledge is that most of the guys that return to school for an extra year, it does not work out. Avon Rab, most notably Cal. You yeah. can look at Robert Williams at Texas A&M, whose stock has fallen this year. Alonzo Trier probably sneaks into the first round last year if he declares for the NBA draft. Yeah, that's true. I mean, most of these guys, we all want them. Hey, you, you should come back. It makes more sense for these guys to just leave at the first possible <laughs> yeah. effort. Now, there are plenty of examples of guys that leave too early. but Right. Now, that's interesting. So, um, moving on to Arizona. Well, first of all, the Pac-12 uh, obviously flamed out. Yeah. And I've seen some people put a lot of blame on Larry Scott's. I stuff. don't understand that, Doug. I don't either. I don't either. So I don't. I don't know who it was. I retweeted it saying that you know Larry Scott should be fired. I'm like, well, Oregon was just in the Final Four last year. Washington's <laughs> been in the college football playoff. <laughs> it wasn't like Larry Scott was getting a lot of credit for that. I understand that people aren't happy with Larry Correct. Scott. I understand that uh, very well. But I don't think performance on the field, on the court, has anything to do with his job when, status. When did we start holding <laughs> conference commissioners responsible for on-court play? Yeah, it's like the National League not winning the World Series for all, in baseball and saying, like, you know what, we need to get rid of the National League president. Right, <laughs> I mean, right. it just doesn't make any sense. If you, want to, if you want to build a case against Larry Scott for his mismanagement of the media aspect of the conference, fire away. I, you can find a sympathetic ear here. But for the Pac, it was embarrassing. It was. But for the Pac-12, the fact they didn't win a single tournament game for Larry Scott, dude, that's, that's insane. <laughs> so you saw that as well? Yes. Okay. And I right. don't know. I mean, that's just a lot of DirecTV customers that are still pissed. Well, and, you know, I understand the DirecTV thing, but, you know, this has been going on for, what, five or six years? <laughs> People I mean, are, are creatures are, of habit. They're there not are changing. There are other options out there. I had DirecTV uh, when the Pac-12 networks launched. And I switched. <laughs> you have journalistic integrity. You had to switch. I right. In fairness, though, you know what I mean. Like you, that's true. You and I can't really operate if we're not watching the Pac-12 network. So it, it was. But there, I know a lot of. I know a few people that switch, but I know just as many people like. I'm not giving them my money just because the Pac-12 is an idiot. <laughs> well, I don't know the specifics about how much uh, the Pac-12 is asking for to carry it and all that, but I do know this. I tweeted out late in the year the Pac-12 <clears throat> attendance figures, basically just to show people where Arizona State ranked. And, you know, it's, it's basically Arizona, Utah, ASU at the top. You know, then the middle you have, you know, programs like Cal averaging six or 7,000. Yeah. That got circulated around so much that the Big Ten fans got a hold of that. They thought that was hilarious. I mean, because, you know, they have just about their entire conference averaging 10,000 uh, per home game in basketball. You know, the Pac-12 does not have a lot of leverage. Uh, in fan support. No. I mean, they, they really don't. I mean, and I know there are diehards, especially in Tucson, especially in different pockets of the Pac-12, but for the most part, the fan interest is way below the other major conferences. I'm One of the things I'm proudest of being a Pac-12 homer and a University of Arizona alum is we don't care as much as the SEC and Big Ten. <laughs> That's not embarrassing to me. Like, there's perspective and there's not 100,000 people at spring football games. There's not 12,000 people at meaningless, terrible college basketball games. That's okay. It just means we have better things to do. We have more things to do. I'm totally fine with that, but to your point, it does 
cost them when it comes to leverage, and that's just a reality. I, I mean, uh, Larry Scott, again, has made some mistakes. I think these late start times, I think being buried at you know 1 a.m. Eastern time where some of these important games are going, that's just dumb. Yeah. There and, are better ways strategically to do that. And putting the entire Pac-12 basketball tournament on Pac-12 Network. Stupid. Is, <laughs> yeah, that's not a smart move. I mean, you, that's just hubris. It's, right. it's not strategy. It's hubris. Right. And I think that's the biggest complaint of Larry Scott is he's not a, uh, how shall I say, a man of the people. He <laughs> is a... He is, there is an arrogance that is associated with Larry Scott that isn't necessarily earned based on the Pac-12 standing, which you could make a compelling case. The Pac-12 standing overall has fallen in the last five or six years. And part of that is Larry Scott's fault. Part of it's just the the cyclical nature of sports. Chip Kelly's gone. You know, Pete Carroll's gone. There's some big stars in coaching, and Pac-12 basketball at one point was the pride of the pro of of the conference, has has been bad for a couple of years. Well, let me ask you this: the fact that uh, what Bryce Love for Stanford finished what? What did he finish in the Heisman voting this year? Second or third? Yeah. Uh, Stanford's had a lot of guys finish second. Is that the fault of the Pac-12 conference, the commissioner, the leadership that they can't get their guys? enough publicity to win the Heisman Trophy? Because I, I think, I don't know who it was, maybe Ivan Mazzale from ESPN said yeah. he doesn't think that there's going to be another Heisman Trophy winner from uh, from the West. Right. Um, so some people blame that sort of thing on the Pac-12 network and and, and Larry Scott because they I just don't... D- no. See, I, mean, I, think it's, I, think, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I do, I do understand why people say that. But... Um, I think I'm a... Are you a Heisman voter? I am, yes. I'm a Heisman voter too. It's our responsibility right. to seek out the information that I, I, I know there's hundreds of high, it's not like some exclusive club, but like I take it seriously and I'm not going to downgrade someone just because I don't watch their games as much. I try to seek out that information, but I do think there's some culpability in the PAC 12. They're not directly responsible for that, but it's, to, it speaks to the overall ineffectiveness of the PAC 12 communicating its product or, or, publicizing his product. That's a fair criticism. But to me, Heisman voting should be about guys and and women, men and women who are voters, doing their due diligence, period. Yeah. And then I know a lot of people, we're getting kind of off topic here, but are upset with the late kickoffs in football. Those are idiotic. (laughs) Um, The The late tips in basketball are almost worse, though, to me. Yeah. I mean, I think I was, what, ASU played Oregon this year at 8.30, uh, in Eugene, so that's nine thirty here. I mean, yeah. that, that that's pretty late. Football wise, you know, I I can't. I mean, obviously, I think ASU went through a season last year where they never kicked off before. I don't know, maybe five o'clock. Part of that's obviously the environment, you know, right? You can't well, that's the thing. Off. I used to complain about it all the time on Twitter until I I started asking fans, and most of the ASU fans told me like they prefer the later kickoff because yeah. of the heat, yeah, which makes sense. So I think the big this is my God. I'm I feel like I'm infringing on Jeff Metcalf's territory here with this turn into the pick six, but. <laughs> I would rather the Pac-12 do something radical and schedule games for Wednesday nights as opposed to the late Friday, late Saturday. There's so much football. Friday nights, is a, Thursday, it's, yeah. it's, a death, it's a death knell for any... Nobody puts their best programming on Friday nights. Um, I, I just think their strategy has been wrong. So Right. So, okay, so we're in agreement that Larry Scott should not be fired. Well, not for that, <laughs> for that. not right. for the tournament's not for performance, reason. right. Okay. You can, I, I could buy on Larry Fitzgerald 
being fired, but not for the tournament performance. All right, let's move. It, talk briefly. The game happened so long ago. The Arizona State and Syracuse in Dayton seems like a long, really long does. time ago. Uh, <laughs> but real quick, I, I'm Jody. I'll be honest. I am stunned that Syracuse is still playing basketball. Yeah, um, yeah. Just sitting there watching them. Uh, I mean, obviously the zone is the zone. It, it's a, and it's tough. And if you don't see it a whole lot, I understand that. But that is outside of California. That's the worst offensive basketball team I've seen this year. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> and they were up, you know, ASU got up seven in the second half. And, uh, you know, I thought the game was over. It should have been over. ASU should have won that basketball game. They should have. Remy Martin. Uh, you know, actually, when the game started, I wasn't sure how it, it was going to go. And then when, when Bobby Hurley put Remy Martin in there, he got inside the zone, set up Cody Justice a couple times. I thought, okay, they can figure out the zone. And then he didn't play Remy. In the uh, second half. I would just say this is this is been another theme on this podcast. He did not play. He played him seven minutes in the second half. I thought he was their best player against the zone for stretches in the first. He was. I, he, I I don't understand that. Bobby Hurley has some questions to answer as a coach going forward. Yeah. Every coach does, and but some of the reverence that has been reserved for Bobby Hurley, um, it, to me, has to be checked a little bit. Great progress this season. A lot of good things. For two months, they were a great team. For two months, they were a underachieving team that regressed individually and collectively. Look at the players on their roster. Who got better as the season went on? Who played better as the season went on? That's a good question. I thought at the end of the season, Cody Justice was their best player. Probably. Um, no, that is a good Trey question. Trey Holder did not get better as the season went on. Shannon Evans did not get better as the season went on. Mickey Mitchell got worse. Uh, Remy Martin probably played his best basketball in the first 10 weeks, 12 weeks to see when he was playing. Um, Ramella White got worse. Daquan Lake, I thought, got regressed. So, yeah, ASU, I think there's some some solace in the fact that Syracuse beat Michigan State and they're in the Sweet 16. (laughs) That does make them look a little bit better. It does, and they battled against them, but I do think... There's so many interesting questions about ASU going into next year. Losing those three senior guards, is it actually going to work out for ASU? Because now Remy Martin, the the team will essentially be turned over to Remy Martin? Maybe. Conceivably? <laughs> well, I mean, they have, uh, you know, Lou Dort coming in from Canada. I mean, he he's I know he likes the ball in his hands a lot. Does he me, go by Lou? Is it Lou? That's that's what everyone around Lugans. him calls Lou. Yeah. Lou. Uh to me, I think you have to have him on the court, but I mean, he's great in that six-man role as well. But I, I, it, coming off the bench, starting whatever, I think you just have to make sure he averages 30, yeah. 30 minutes a game. It was a mistake, right? It was a mistake. Well, and, and to Bobby's credit, I mean, he's he believes in his seniors, and he felt like you know they needed to go down, you know, in the final minutes with them on the floor. I understand that, uh, and what you said about Bobby, it, the and I've mentioned this before. Not every coach will acknowledge publicly that he's you know, messed up right, <laughs> or that he right. has things. He, Bobby will do that. So I give him credit for that. Yeah. Um, he, he understands who he is and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of ego about him, at least as far as my dealings with him. Right. But, you know, I, I still feel like no, no matter what Syracuse went on to do, I still feel like Arizona State should have won that game. I asked this on Twitter and got some really interesting response. I'm curious your thoughts having closely covered this team all season. If I would have told you before the tournament, that ASU's entire season was going to come down to a three-point shot at the end of the game. Who do you think would have been the best option to take that shot? Evans, Holder, Justice, maybe even throw Remy Martin in there. 
If, who who fit that profile the best? You asked that question. If if you would ask that question before the season, or no, going into the tournament. Oh, going into going the into tournament. the tournament. If I would have told you that the entire season in a game was boiling down to one three point shot against Syracuse, and I, I know you're not th- you're approaching this not as a fan, but as you know having covered the team, who would have made the most sense in that regard? It's a tough question. I think you can make it. I, Shannon would not have been the guy because he struggled over his last. I mean, earlier in the season, he hit clutch shots. Yeah. He was clutch. Trey hit the game winner against uh, USC. He hit big shots early in the season. I probably would have gone with Cody. I agree. I think it's either Cody or Trey Holder that deserved that shot. Yeah. And I think the fact that it was Shannon Evans, it's not like necessarily by design. He had a good look. You know what I mean? Um, but I think if you're an ASU fan, you would have preferred. And frankly, I think Cody and Trey deserved that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it was. it was. He did have a good look. He pumped fake, stepped to the right. He's yep. hit that shot a lot. I thought... You know, in the moment, I thought he rushed it a little bit because, but you know, it was under three seconds, so yeah. he had to get it up there. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think you could make the argument that Cody or or Trey deserve it. Um, Remy kind of plays like you know he doesn't. He's not aware of what's going on yeah, around yeah, him. Yeah. He's not aware that he's a freshman in the NCAA tournament. So you know, maybe he hits the shot, but but I I don't know. It it uh, it, it was interesting. I mean, we talked a little bit about on your radio show, whether or not, you know, this makes, did they have a good season? Right. I, I felt like they had to win and I get agree. out of the first four right. to say, like, we had a good season. It's definitely something the program can build on, something the program can sell to fans and recruits saying, hey, we made the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014. But um, I just felt like they needed to win that game. You can't simultaneously talk about this season increasing the standards, raising the standards of the program and then accept a lower standard of success. You right. can't do both of those things. Right. And so if you're going to make the case that the regular season elevated the standards of this program, then you also have to accept that losing in the play-in game was a big disappointment. Right. And they haven't, I mean, they didn't prove that they were a top, you know, Pac-12 team. I mean, that's still the big obstacle for Arizona State basketball. No matter what you did in non-conference season, you know, they finished eighth in a <laughs> tremendously weak Pac-12. So um, they, they have some work to do there. You know, Bobby kept going back saying like, well, we, we came for a full circle. This is where everyone expected us to be. But I agree. Once the season starts, expectations can be altered. They change. And, yeah, they change. And, and you know, that's, that's fair. That's right. fair. They changed expectations. Now they were playing in a totally different on a totally different level. And you have to perform at that. They, they didn't do that. ASU should have been at a point after the season where it wasn't a, we're just happy to be in the tournament. Right. I, I thought the season and what they accomplished lended itself to a more, we need to maximize this opportunity. And it didn't happen. And again, maybe that's on us because this is a team that went 8-11 and 11 over two-plus months in the Pac-12. This is a team that um, maybe the question should, shouldn't be, how did they lose 11 games in the Pac-12? Maybe it should be, how the hell did they beat Kansas and Xavier? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, no, no, that's the way it should be looked at, I think. And I, I wrote this. I mean, very rarely. And we all got sucked up into it. And for good reason. I mean, they did beat two very talented teams away from home, but rarely, rarely does it unfold this way. A, a program coming off two losing seasons yeah. and year three, all of a sudden is a top 10 team. Right. It, it doesn't happen. It takes time. Um, you know, you have to build to get to this level. 
And and it'll be really big going into year four of Bobby Hurley if they can build off this, get into the maybe the top four or five in the Pac-12. I know a lot of people inside the program who think that next year's team's going to be better uh, than this year's team was. Even though they do lose, you know, those three senior guards who accounted for 60% of their scoring, they have some guys who are sitting out. Um, they have a, a top 25 freshman class coming in. So, um, you know, I think they'll be, you know, I think they could be an NCAA tournament team next year. So we'll have to. I have a hard time believing they'll be a better team next year. Will the results be different? I don't know. I can't predict that. But like losing Holder, Justice, and Evans, I think is a pretty significant loss for the program. Well, that's a lot of experience right there. And and beware the trap of the incoming class because when, <laughs> I mean, listen, Arizona right now they have they had a, a consensus top ten class. They got DeAndre Ayton, which was awesome, but then the rest of the class was a pretty big disappointment. So, <laughs> yeah, we were right on that. By the way, we were we were saying beware the incoming class with Arizona. Yeah, right. <laughs> from yeah. from the get go. No, you're right about that. We got to learn it, lessons, <laughs> right? We got to we got to learn something it, it from does, this and year. It doesn't help that you know their big incoming freshman you know has a little bit of uncertainty having been yeah. expelled from high school already. But you know we we talked about Lugens Dort and you know I, I saw him. He he looks. You know I don't know. If, I, I've only seen highlights. I don't know if he can play in the NBA, but he looks like an NBA player. <laughs> and is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he looks. I mean, he's a six-four guard uh, that's pretty well built already. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, do they have outside shooting? I don't know. One, one of do they part- have an interior presence? That's what killed them this year. I could see Kamani Lawrence and Remy Martin uh, forming a very formidable punch, but like. Is, are you relying on Daquan Lake and Romella White again next year? Because that didn't work out well this year. Yeah, they're going to have to uh, to address that. I think they're going to be – they'll probably add one more. And it'll be a grad transfer. Grad transfer, and big it, man. Yeah, and it's it's. I would say it has to be a post player because yeah. they do need some help down there. Uh, but we'll – yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I think they've done enough to show with, with the crowd support um, – with the, just the extra visibility that they got yes, this year. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Nobody was talking about And let's be honest, when we were talking about the podcast, start launching this podcast, it was like, well, can we sustain it? <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we had no idea what ASU basketball was going to be um, at that time, and, and it worked out well for us. But, you know, they... No one, most importantly. <laughs> <laughs> most importantly. But, yeah, no one, no one talks about Arizona State basketball in November no. and December, and they were the talk of the sport. That, that helps them out. Gives them a little bit more visibility, helps with the recruiting, but I now agree. you have to cash in on that. I agree. That only lasts so long. That is an expiration date, and it's they've got to pick. They've got to build it on does. that next year, otherwise it's gone. Right. And you don't get that opportunity again. Yes. So now the tournament coming up. How is, how is your bracket looking, by the way? Um, not too good. <laughs> not too good. I'm I'm out on brackets. I'm in on survivor pools. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. Big bracket. I'm, I'm, I'll still fill out a bracket. It's not a fair fight. These tournaments are crazy. Survivor pools, to me, are much more fun. There's a little more fair fight. But I have Purdue. I only have two Final Four teams left. I've got Purdue and uh, Gonzaga left. I have three. I have um, Purdue, which yeah. I don't feel real good about. No, given Isaac House, uh, yeah, injury. Although uh, they're trying to get the engineering department there, <laughs> Purdue, to design a bionic elbow that can passes Can you play basketball with a fractured elbow? No, you can't. I don't think no, you can either. And if I were the opposing uh, coach, I'd say every time you're banging on that right. elbow. I have uh, Purdue, Duke, and Texas A&M, which I feel pretty good about because I took a lot of abuse on Twitter uh, when I sent that out. Um, yeah, good for you. I mean, not for taking for abuse, but for... St- Picking Texas A&M and sticking with it. I just, 
I, I saw Texas A&M a lot during the non-conference season, and I thought they, you know, they they're big inside. I was a little not real sold on their guard play, but I did like their big guys. So that that's the reason why I took. It. I know they they had they dealt with a lot of personnel issues this year that uh, kind of slowed them down in SEC play. But you know who knows? They right. They, they have a long way to go. Right. To get there, but um, of the <laughs> of the teams left, that South region's crazy. Uh, Top four seeds gone. Nevada's got as good of a chance at reaching the final four as anybody. I'm going to go with Nevada out of that out of that region. Wow, really? Yeah, they're just a, f- a fun team, and they're a fun story so far. I know Eric Musselman a little bit from his ASU coaching yeah. days. So I knew he was take my shirt off guy at all opportunity. <laughs> I didn't know that was who he was. Yeah, I I tweet. I don't think anyone's having more fun than he is. Yeah. Right now. So, but anyway, just real quick, I'll give you. I'm going to go my revised Final Four. I'll go with Nevada. I'll stick with A and M. Um, and then Duke, and then Villanova to me looks awesome. Yeah. Right so I'm yeah. going to go with those four. I would probably go Kentucky. I'd stick with the Zags. I'd go Villanova and Duke as well. Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you finally think, okay, Kentucky's going to have a down year, and they get the easiest bracket in the history of the NCAA tournament. Well, they may, I mean, typically the paths to the Final Four are overrated, right? I mean, it, yeah, and we, get, we, get, we look stupid every time, so it may not mean anything, but I'd – I have a hard time believing that with their level of talent, they've got three first-round picks on their roster again. Yeah, that they're gonna not. And and Cal, I think, is a, a good tournament coach. Uh, so yeah, I would, I'd, I'll I'll roll with Kentucky in the South. Yeah, I'm kind of cheering for that Villanova Duke semifinal. That'd matchup. be incredible. Yeah, that'd be since we since we lost out on Duke Michigan State. Um, really, the best remaining matchup in the entire tournament would be Villanova Duke. Yeah, yeah, they both look the part right now. Are so, we uh, are we doing any more podcasts after this? I don't. Well, I mean, I guess we'll have to. I, I don't see how we could do a week to, a weekly. Yeah. One, but we'll just have to wait and see what happens if if news breaks, which I, I I'm expecting it to break tomorrow, <laughs> since we're doing this today. Um, but Sean yeah. Miller accepts a job coaching the Canadian national team. We're like what? what the hell? But no, I mean, I, I've enjoyed doing it. Yeah, it's I mean, been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, so... And thank you to everybody who takes the opportunity to listen to it and feedback and um, very, very appreciative of that because it's it's been uh, something you and I both have a passion about and have enjoyed doing. Yeah, and they've actually been pretty nice about not getting on Twitter and, and, and slamming us for Just our... Just wait. <laughs> for, for our crate. You think that's coming? It's I'm always sure. coming. Yeah, that's probably true. So... But yeah, I've enjoyed it. I think it's been fun, and uh, hopefully, we can continue doing it on a limited basis throughout the off season, and you know, hit the ground running. Again we'll next reconvene the two man weave when the current events call for it, and uh, right. we will look forward to doing that. But once again, uh, for Doug Howler, any final words, Doug? I will be in San Antonio for the Final Four. Nice. So I just found out about that a few days ago. So uh, just I'll be doing spring football up this week, but being heading out to San Antonio next week. So. Uh, just look for stuff on Twitter about that. Do you know that a few weeks ago I was I was asked if I wanted to go to the Final Four? And I'm like, no, I'll pass. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm just like, the Final Four, after having gone to it a few years, I think it's a better from-home experience than it is an in-person experience. Uh, yeah, big events are hard to cover. Yeah, they are. I mean, I, trying to the, think. I've been to three Super Bowls now, and I don't think I've enjoyed one of them. Right. It's just, there's just so much going on. Um, and it's hard to get to where you need to be. It's hard to find those little nuggets that kind of separate yeah. what you do. Um, so, I, yeah, I understand that. Well, look forward to more coverage from Doug, AZ Central Sports, azcentral.com, on Twitter at Doug Haller. 
Uh, and I'll continue talking about lots of other things on the drive. Uh, weekdays 4 to 7 on Fox Sports 910. Phoenix at Radio J-O-D-Y on Twitter. For the final time of this regular scheduled podcast, thanks for listening to the Two Men We Podcast.